because God is with us in Christ, Emmanuel, because God is with us in Christ, we can accept and endure hardship with courage. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. All right, I want you to raise your hand here if you have ever experienced any of this. Right there, hardship. All right, anybody ever experience any hardship here? Any difficulty or pain? We got some bad news of something, maybe a bad medical diagnosis, or maybe you're undergoing some kind of stress or strain in a relationship, a broken family. Maybe it was a, a broken dream, a crushed dream, something that you had long anticipated or desired, and then all of a sudden it seemed like the whole world, the rug just got pulled out from underneath you. Well, all of us, I think, have experienced hardship and pain and difficulty in life. And as we continue this now in our exploration and our celebration of Christmas, we are reminded here of some folks who also experienced great hardship and difficulty, and I'm sure it was not what they were expecting for their life and how things were going to go. And that, of course, was for Mary and for Joseph, and yet through that came the greatest blessing that the world would ever know. So all of us experience hardship and pain and difficulty, but because Jesus Christ came into this world. He is Emmanuel. He is literally God with us, isn't he? And because he is with us, we can have hope and help in the midst of our hardship, our difficulty, and our pain. Remember, we've said that uh, there is this great grand story, God's grand story of all things, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, that God created all things. He created human beings in his image. But then we rebelled against him. We turned away from him. We chose to follow our own way, and we fell into sin. But this did not surprise God because he had a plan to save, to redeem all along then, that he would send his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would come into this world. He humbled himself. He came into this world. He lived a perfect life of obedience, a perfect righteous life of obedience to God's law. He succeeded where Adam failed. Adam failed the test of obedience, but Jesus passed. He succeeded. And as we fell in Adam, we are then what? We are saved or redeemed in Christ, in his perfect obedience, his perfect life. He then went to the cross where he gave his life for us, where he was punished or judged for our sin. He took that punishment upon himself, a sacrificial death on the cross. He died, he was buried, and he rose again, and he is coming again then where he will judge the, the living and the dead of all time, and then he will restore or make all things new. That is the grand story of what is God up to. This is the grand story of history here. Well, Christmas, then, we've said what? Is the, is the story within the grand story. It's the story of God humbling himself, God the Son humbling himself, taking on human flesh, becoming one of us, like us in every way but without sin, in order that he might redeem us then. Today, we're looking at the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph will be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. You wonder, all right, what's the big idea? 
What's the big idea? What is the main theme that I want us to take away from the message here today? And that is this right here, is that because God is with us in Christ, Emmanuel, because God is with us in Christ, we can accept and endure hardship with courage. We can accept and endure hardship with courage. Before we look at our text in Matthew chapter 1, a little context here. You know, as, as the seed of the woman, the Messiah had to come out of humanity. That is, he had to be one of us, a human. As the seed of Abraham, the Messiah had to come from the nation of Israel. As the seed of Judah, Messiah had to come from the tribe of Judah. And as the seed of David, the Messiah had to be of the lineage of David. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you know that Matthew and Luke both record genealogies of Jesus. But if you compare them, we see that there are some differences among them. We see in both of them that these four requirements for Messiah were certainly fulfilled in Jesus, but yet there are differences among them. And you might wonder, okay, well, did one of them get it wrong? Is the Bible wrong about these genealogies? No, they're very, very different from one another. How do we explain that? Well, I think there have been a number of, of ways that have been suggested for how to understand why the, are, there are these differences here. But many Bible scholars today take the view that Luke is recording Jesus' descent through the line of Mary, while Matthew is recording Jesus' descent through Joseph, his legal father. So Matthew is following the line of Joseph, Jesus' legal father, through David's son Solomon, while Luke is following the line of Mary, Jesus' blood relative, through David's son Nathan. And since there was no specific word, a Greek word, for a son-in-law, Joseph was simply called the son of Heli by marriage to Mary, Heli's daughter. And so through either Mary's line or Joseph's line, either way you choose to go here with that, Jesus is demonstrated to be a descendant of David and therefore eligible to be the Messiah. And so tracing a genealogy through the mother's side was a little unusual, but so was the virgin birth. The virgin, anybody think that was a little unusual, the virgin birth there? Yeah, I, I think so then. So, but Luke's explanation then is that Jesus was the son of Joseph, so it was thought, right? He was not the biological son. He was the legal son of Joseph, but he was not the biological son of Joseph. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, right? So after Matthew lists his names in his genealogy, he tells us this then in Matthew 1.17. He says, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So you see that three times there, 14, 14, 14. And we believe, it is believed that in arranging his genealogy in this way, Matthew is what? He is summarizing then the Old Testament with these three main events leading up to Jesus, with Abraham, David, the deportation to Babylon, and then bringing us up to the coming of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. So we see that in there. Now, Matthew, though, in these 14, 14, 14, he is not listing 
every single individual in the genealogy of Jesus between Abraham and David, David in the exile, and then the exile to Jesus then. And Jewish genealogy did not require that you listed every single person there. But why then 14? Why 14 like that? And I think it's been the best explanation I've seen is that the name David in Hebrew numerology, that is, if you add up all of the, the, the numerical equivalents of the letters of David's name, that all adds up to guess what number? 14. So in effect, what? 14, 14, 14. Matthew is shouting to us that Jesus was of the lineage of who? David, David, David. Pretty clearly answering that question here then for us. But you know, there's another interesting thing, though, about Matthew's genealogy, and that is that we see this inclusion of, of uh, four different women here, of Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Solomon's mother then. And some of them did not have the most or the best history there, but you see that even sometimes, anybody here an imperfect person? Or having a, okay, well, I think we all need to raise our hands to that. Well, every single person in that line was an imperfect person, Right. And some of them were infamously so, but nevertheless, though, Jesus was descended through them as well. But then when we come to this fifth woman who's listed, Mary, there is an important change that has occurred. All along we're seeing that, this, that Jesus was the, you know, the son of, the son of, the son of. But then this genealogy then says when we come to Mary, at that point then it changes and it says of whom Mary, of whom Jesus was, uh, of whom was born Jesus then. And that is a feminine pronoun there, pronoun there, which is clearly indicating what? That Jesus was the physical child of Mary, but Joseph was not his physical father. And there is what? A miraculous conception here. And that miraculous conception and that birth are then explained in our text here then. So let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. We're told, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So first off, we see here a supernatural conception, a supernatural conception. The fact that Jesus was born of Mary, not of Mary and Joseph, but of Mary only is indicated here, demanded a little further explanation here. 
And Matthew's explanation is best understood in the light of Hebrew marriage customs. Marriages were arranged for individuals by parents, and then contracts were negotiated. And after this was accomplished, then the individuals were considered married, and they were called and wife. But they did not, however, begin to live together. They did not yet consummate the marriage. Instead, the woman would continue to live with her parents and the man with his for one year. And this waiting period then was to demonstrate the faithfulness of the pledge of purity given by the bride. So if she were to be found with child in that period, she was obviously not pure. She had been involved in some unfaithful sexual relationship, and therefore the marriage could be annulled. If, however, after this one-year period demonstrated the purity of the bride, the husband would then go to the house of the bride's parents, and a grand processional march, he would lead his bride back to his home. And there they would then begin to live together as husband and wife and consummate their marriage physically. So at this time, Mary and Joseph, they were called husband and wife, but they were not yet living together. The marriage had not been consummated. They were in this waiting period then when Mary was found to be with child. Now, they had not not had any sexual relationship, but Mary had indeed been faithful, though, too. So how could this be? How could this be? And while little is said about Joseph here, one can imagine how his heart must have been broken. So I believe he genuinely loved Mary, and yet one day here comes the news that she was pregnant. Now I wonder if you were in Joseph's position here, and you were You'd had all of these plans. You were looking forward to this marriage. One day, very soon, you were going to go to her. You were going to bring her back to your home. And there then you would then begin to live together as husband and wife. And then one day she comes to you and says, what? She is pregnant, but she's not had any sexual relationships with anyone. She was, it was a miracle. She was conceived, this baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit. An angel had come to her and told that she was going to conceive by the power of God. If you're a Joseph, what are you thinking at this point? Liar. Liar. Yeah, right, right? This is not how this works, right? I think all of us would have our faith tested at that point, right? Anybody here ever had your faith tested? Well, do you think this would test your faith a little bit, your faith in Mary and what she said, or maybe even your faith in God, like, Lord, I want to do the right thing here. I was so looking forward to this, and now this story of this kind of conception here. Well, so Joseph begins to contemplate a divorce, but in this case, it's a quiet divorce, because divorce in this situation would have been the norm. It would have been expected for Joseph to do that. And normally what would happen, it would be a very public thing, an ugly thing where he would expose her to the town elders, take them right there in front of everybody, point it all out, and such an act then would have further exposed Mary to public shame and could have potentially even resulted in Mary's death by stoning. But Joseph didn't want to do that. Instead, he decided, he resolved that he would divorce her quietly, That is, he would not go through this big public show. He would not 
expose her to the town elders. But you know, an interesting point on this that is often overlooked is that were he to do that, also he would not be able to demand the return of the dowry. See, that was part of the tradition is that the, the groom's family would, would pay a price for the bride, the dowry. And if he were to divorce her publicly, he could get that back. But if he were to do so quietly, he could not. And so this is actually in doing so quietly. Not only is he sparing Mary of further public shame and the danger potentially being stolen, but he is also then, he is suffering a financial loss then that he cannot retrieve that dowry from her. So he's determined he is going to divorce her, but he's going to do it quietly. And then we see an angelic revelation, an angelic intervention and revelation here. Because then, in a dream, an angel appears to Joseph and tells him that Mary's condition was not caused by a man, but rather through the power of the Holy Spirit. Recall the message. Recall the message that Gabriel, the angel, brought to Mary before, the, before uh, this had occurred. Luke 1, 26-35 says what? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Who, me? You're talking to me, right? And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to her, well, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So Joseph is let in on this and what Mary had been told also, what Mary had experienced here. At this point, if you're Joseph, what are you thinking now? I might still be a little... You need more than a dream, right? I think I might too. Who thinks you might need a little more than a dream? Well, nevertheless, though, Joseph recognized that God was speaking to him in that, that this was an angel speaking to him in this way through this. And he says that this child to be born was going to bring salvation a divine salvation, a divine rescue, that he would be called Jesus, whose name means what? The Lord is salvation. Yahweh saves. God saves. And this unnamed angel, some think that may have been Gabriel. It's possible it was Gabriel, but we're not told in the text who this angel was that came to Joseph. But we're told that this, this one... Uh, this would be in keeping with God's eternal plan 
For the prophet Isaiah had declared 700 years before that the virgin will be with child. And here, Mary's miraculous conception then fulfills Isaiah's prophecy. And that this child to be born, he would truly be Emmanuel. Jesus is literally God with us, isn't he? So in light of this declaration, Joseph is told, do not be afraid. Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Bring her into your home. Now, no doubt there would be misunderstanding in the community and much gossip at the well, the town well. But Joseph knew now the true story of Mary's pregnancy and of God's will for his life. So Joseph hears this story, and I have to admit, I think many of us would still find it very hard to believe. I think, wow, was that just a... How many of you ever had a strange dream? Anybody here? Right? We all have, right? But there was something about this dream that just left, no doubt, in Joseph's mind that he had been communicated to by an angel of God. And so what was Joseph's response? It was what it should be when God speaks to us. Always what? Obedience, immediate obedience. And so as soon as Joseph was awakened from the dream, he obeyed. And so he violated all custom then by immediately taking Mary into his home rather than waiting for the one-year time period of betrothal to pass. Joseph was probably thinking of what would be best for Mary then now in this condition. And he brought her home and he began to care for her and provide for her. But there was no sexual relationship between them until after the birth of the child, Jesus. We started off asking about hardship. Who has faced hardship here? I think all of us have. But let's contemplate for just a minute the hardship or the difficulty that Joseph faced in this situation. First off, I think, was the broken heart. I think as we see from how Joseph responded in this intent, just what, to divorce her quietly and to try to spare her any further problems or danger, I think he loved her. You know, I know sometimes that you know, we think uh, like arranged marriages, like arranged marriages in, in many cultures around the world, and, but, but we marry for love, right? And our system is so much better, right? Is it? I don't know about that. But just because these things were arranged did not mean there wasn't love, right? Or that love didn't develop. It often did. And so here then, in this instance, here is Joseph. I mean, he loves her and he has heard. And what? His heart is devastated. He's been betrayed, it seems. His dreams of this life that he was imagining with her have been crushed He's now, along with Mary, what? The subject of ridicule, shame, embarrassment, humiliation, but also perhaps some confusion here. Like, I, I just I don't understand how this could be. That This is not the Mary I knew, right? Mary wouldn't do this, and yet, 
And she's telling me this story that's rather fantastic, isn't it? Pain, shame, embarrassment, ridicule, a broken heart, crushed dreams, betrayal, financial loss, all of these things. What about you? Now, none of us have ever been or ever will be in exactly the same position here as Joseph found himself, will we? However, we all know hardship. We all know difficulty. We all know pain. I think we all know being called to trust God even when things don't make sense. Was Joseph's faith tested? You better believe it was. I wonder, have you ever had your faith tested? You know, I certainly have. But why does God test? Why did God test my faith? Why does he test your faith? To grow us up. I like that. I like that, Paul. To grow me up. Yep. None of us arrive in the Christian life fully, fully developed and formed and mature in the faith, do we? We've got to grow up into the faith. And one of the ways that we grow up into the faith is through the testing of that faith, being put in difficult circumstances. Okay, will you really believe God or not? Will you obey God in this or not? Will you trust that God knows better than you do? I told you before, I, you know, as, as, as a young man, I... Uh, Rather silly now, I think, looking back on it here. There was a period where I, I thought I knew better than God. Now, I knew that I didn't actually, but, you know, I wanted to argue with God. I wanted to debate with God. Anybody, any debaters here, debaters with God who know better than God, right? I knew better than God. I knew the way the world was supposed to be. I knew the way my life was supposed to be, and I took issue with God about that. Guess who won that debate? Guess who's standing up here anyway in spite, though, of losing that debate, right? And that is, folks, is what we call the grace of God, right? So none of us are going to face exactly what Joseph did. But all of us face difficulty, hardship, a testing of our faith. And how will we respond? How will you respond? So we all know hardship, difficulty, pain, being called to trust God even when things don't make sense. And you know, as I look out now in this room, as I look out over our church family, I see a room full of smiling faces of men and women who know they have eternal hope in Christ. I see that here. But you know what else I see? I also see the faces of men and women who have been called to endure hardship in this life. I too have been called to endure pain and hardship. And so when I look out at you, I see, I don't just see random faces. I see lives. I see joy, but I also see pain and difficulty. When I look at you, I see serious medical challenges. I see financial struggles. I see broken relationships. I see family pain. I see broken marriages. I see broken dreams. 
I see the loss of dear loved ones. I see job difficulties, a job loss. I see interpersonal strife, and you don't have to point to the person next to you. You know who you are, right? I see disappointment. I see mental health struggles. I see emotional struggles. I see depression. But then I'm just going to say a name, and I want to see your response to that. I say this name, Jesus. And then back comes that smile of hope on many of our faces. See, Joseph faced hardship. You and I face hardship. But we can accept and endure in Christ. Why? Because God is with us. Because God is with us, we can endure. And not just endure, put up with it, but do so what? With courage and joy even, right? I've seen that example of hope, of courage and joy, regardless of circumstances in the lives of many of you here this morning. But you know, in the pages of Scripture, we see many wonderful examples of this too including Paul, the apostle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he speaks there of some of the things that he has endured in his life as an apostle. And by the way, he is saying these things, what? Because there were some in the, that were, one of the hardships that Paul had to face were people that were cons- false teachers infiltrating churches, constantly seeking to undermine, undermine the gospel message in those churches, undermine the ministry of Paul and the proclamation of the true gospel message. And so sometimes it'd get very personal then with Paul, where they would attack him and go after him. They'd question his credentials. Ah, who is he? Don't listen to him. Listen to us. And so unfortunately, he would sometimes have to defend that, not because he was wounded personally and he wanted to defend himself or strike back, but what? To protect the integrity of the gospel message. And so in 2 Corinthians, he speaks then of some of the things that he has endured for Christ. And he says, what, five times how he had received the 40 lashes less one. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Has anybody here ever received 40 lashes, been beaten with rods or be stoned? Even once? (laughs) Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, the wilderness, at sea, from false brothers and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, hunger, thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from all those other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's some hardship there, isn't it? But he then goes on to speak of there was a special kind of hardship then that he also had to endure that came about as a result of having been greatly blessed. Anybody ever experienced that where God has blessed you in some great way, but maybe there was a little pain that came along with it and God had very good reasons for it. But Paul speaks of how what, that he knows this, this man, 
And of course, he's speaking about himself here, but he says, I, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, there's that number 14 again, but it keeps popping up here, doesn't it? But a man 14 years ago who was caught up to the third heaven. Now, that what in, in Jewish reckoning, the first heaven was what we would call the, the sky. The second heaven is what we would call space, right? Outer space. The third heaven was like the abode of God, right? And so he was caught up to the third heaven, the abode of God. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which, may not, which man may not utter. And on behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my, bone, on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul has given this incredible blessing of being caught up into heaven. He sees things, he hears things that he is not allowed to share. Can you imagine what that must have been like? What did he see? What did he hear? And yet he's told, what, you may not share this with anyone. Now, how many of you are like me, and you might get a little tempted to say, you know what I know? How many of you, how many of you, like, when you know something somebody else doesn't know, and you kind of like to, hmm, you know, that, that, that sense of superiority that you might have, or, oh, I know something you don't know, right? Or, God chose me to reveal these things. We don't have to guess that Paul might have become a little conceited or boastful or arrogant about that. We don't have to guess that he might have, because we know he, he would have. Why? Because God knew he would have, and so God did something, about a little preemptive strike before Paul even had a chance to become boastful. What he said, what? So to keep me from becoming conceited, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, what? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. So God did not remove all the hardships from Paul's life, but he did give him grace to endure. And God demonstrated his power through Paul's weakness. We're also then told in Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. By the way, did you know that the book of Philippians was maybe a, a long thank you card? It's a thank you letter. Paul was in prison in Rome. He was under house arrest, and he had received a a, a very generous gift from the people of the church of Philippi, and he was writing to thank them for that gift. 
So he says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. But now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be what? Content. I know how to be brought low. Oh, he did, didn't he? And I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. By the way, isn't it interesting that he's, he's learned how to face need and hunger, but he also says, I've also learned how to face what? Abundance and being full and sad. Wisdom is required in both, isn't it? I've learned the secret of, uh, of facing these things, whatever my circumstances would be. I've learned how to be content, whatever the circumstances might be. And what is the secret? Well, it's verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do whatever God is calling me to do. If God is calling me to it, then I can do it through Christ's strength. It says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek what? The fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And here's that wonderful promise. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul learned to rely on God's grace and strength to see him through hardship. And he learned the secret of contentment. Whether he had little or much, he had all he needed in Christ. And he could do all things through Christ to strengthen him. And finally, he learned that often God's grace and provision comes to us through the support and the ministry and the love of other believers in our lives. So what does this have to do with Joseph? What does it have to do with Christmas? So what? Well, I would remind us, because God is with us in Christ, Emmanuel, right? We can accept and endure hardship with courage just as Joseph did. So can you, so can I. So I wonder, what, what hardship are you facing Is it a medical challenge? Is it a financial struggle? Is it a broken relationship? Is it family pain? A broken marriage? Broken dreams? The loss, the death of a dear loved one? Job strife? Interpersonal strife? A lost job? Disappointment? Mental health struggles? Emotional struggles? Depression? Whatever it might be, there's hope and there's help. Because God became one of us, Emmanuel. So first I would say, receive the Savior. (laughs) Maybe there's someone here who has not trusted or put faith in Christ. You've turned away from sin, and you need to turn away from sin, repent, and put your faith in Christ. The one who humbled himself, who 
lived a life of perfect obedience to the law of God who succeeded where Adam failed and offers that gift of perfect righteousness, perfect obedience, received as a gift by faith in him and his perfect life, but who then offered his life up, a perfect sacrifice, took the punishment or the judgment for our sin upon himself. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. The scriptures tell us when we receive him, when we believe in him, we put our trust in him, that God exchanges our, our sin and our disobedience for his righteousness and his life. Instead of death and condemnation or judgment, we receive what? Eternal life and blessing. Receive the Savior. Put your trust in Christ. If you put your trust in Christ, accept, accept, and endure in Christ. I recently, someone had told me about uh, um, a, a good pastor right here in our area who preached, who happened to preach a sermon on this very, I know it's a shocker that another pastor was preaching on Christmas, you know, this the, here in our area here, and was talking about Joseph and the story last week. And so I went and I watched his message there, and he, and he said something, and I thought, boy, you know, that's, that's good here. It's like, uh, it says, he, he asked his, he challenged his congregation with these questions. Will I trust God when life hurts? Will you trust God when life hurts? Will you trust God when things don't make sense? How many of you have had life hurt and not make sense sometimes, right? But will you trust God even though it hurts, even though life doesn't always make sense? Accept and endure in Christ and the hope that we have in him. But I would say what? Come alongside others. Come alongside others. You know, recently, just this, this past week, there was... Uh, someone in our church family who came alongside another believer who needed some help with something, helped to meet a need in that person's life. So this person came to me and said, you know, I, I, I want to do something to help someone, you know, here. And, and you know, what, what, what can, do you know anyone? I said, well, I might, yeah. And so I know of someone who, who needed some help with something. And this person was able to, to meet that need and and then to be able to, to tell this person, hey, you know what, someone, someone is going to meet that need in your life. And then to see the joy on her face and say, this is my Christmas miracle I was praying for. Now, God answered her prayer, didn't he? God met her need, but how did he do it? Through another believer, right? Someone who came alongside for that need. We all need people to come alongside us sometimes, don't we? You need to come alongside others sometimes. Maybe we can come alongside someone financially. Maybe we can come alongside and helping with some practical concern or need. You know, I've had a number of you folks have come alongside me on many occasions. I just had, a, had an occasion for that just recently here. Been doing this little project, you know, around the house, a, a, a massive home renovation project. How many of you know that's a lot of fun, right? And it's always a lot more involved and a lot more expensive than you thought it was going to be, right? But someone who's been very generous with his time and abilities and, and, and helping with that. So I'm very thankful for that. But I'm also, though, thankful, like one particular thing I was working on, uh, this, the focus this year was kind of was, was outside and some things there and, and, and replacing these crumbling decks there. 
And part of, part of it was installing this, this new patio area with paver blocks. Anybody ever had a patio project, paver blocks, putting those down? Lots of fun, isn't that? You know what I found out? It's a lot easier to do that when you have access to a Bobcat front-end loader. You know? <laughs> so thank you, Ralph. Where, where's Ralph? Ralph, uh, for your areas. Thank you for your, your Bobcat, the use of your Bobcat. And, and also, you don't want me driving the thing, trust it. You know? So he drove it. But I tell you, that made quick work of a project that would take a lot longer trying to do that all by hand. That Bobcat made it a lot easier doing that, right? So there's an example coming alongside someone, right? So it's a financial need. It's a practical need or concern. Or, or how about this, a spiritual need? You know how you can come alongside? You say, well, I don't own a bobcat. That's okay. I only know of one guy in this church who does, right? But you know what we all can do? We can all come alongside and do what? By praying and encouraging. Or maybe God has particularly gifted you with wisdom. And you can give someone some wise counsel. See, these are the ways that we can come alongside one another. God, Emmanuel, God with us. Well, sometimes God with us means that flesh and blood person come and ministering, that God sends that person, and maybe you're that person for somebody, right? Receive the Savior, accept and endure hardship in Christ, come alongside others. Because... God came alongside us in Christ. Let us come alongside one another. Let us endure hardship and difficulty with courage. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this wondrous hope that we have in Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is God with us. Thank you that because he has come into this world, Lord, we can have hope We can have forgiveness of sin. We can have the gift of perfect righteousness. We can have the gift of eternal life, the hope of the resurrection of the body, and the promise that you're going to make all things new. Thank you that Jesus has overcome. And thank you, Lord, that he is with us, that you never leave us or forsake us. So I pray, Father, for those who are struggling in some way with heart, and all of us have, Lord. I pray we'd be encouraged today that we would look to you, that we would find our hope and help in you. And Lord, would you put on our minds, maybe there's somebody that we can come alongside to help financially or physically in some way, spiritually to pray for them, encourage them, give wise counsel, whatever it might be, Lord. Would you touch our hearts, Lord, with that? Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.